Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Welcome back to BTR Boxing Podcast Network. I'm your host, Sean, and I'm joined, as always, by Johnston for this episode of Shooting the Breeze. There's no fights in the next two weeks, no major fights for us to cover for big fight previews. So we decided over the next couple of weeks, we'll do a series of Shooting the Breeze and we'll do some interviews. I'll be out doing some interviews, so you'll get to hear some interviews very shortly coming on the feed as well. So please do watch out and listen to those. But it's a good chance for us to catch up, Johnston. You're now back from your holiday in Spain, in sunny Spain. You've had a great time. Uh, you've been watching some of the fights and what's been going on over the past few weeks as well since you've been away from the pod. And I'm sure you're going to bring some of that stuff up in the Shooting the Breeze episode. But there's plenty of content to go through here over the last couple of the weeks, isn't there? And I think first and foremost, how good is it to be back? Uh, it's all right. <laughs> it's not as nice as... Uh... Uh, Spain, obviously. Um, yeah, I mean, look, it's it's good to get back into a routine of things, back to back to the uh, work and everything else, and obviously back to boxing. I mean, I'm, to be fair, you know, it was a fight out there, so I was able to watch that and keep up to date with what's going on in and around the boxing scene. Um, and there's is is a few things for us to discuss, and it in fact, there's many things we could go on all night about all the the topics we can we were going to mention here plus there's probably additional stuff we're going to miss out no doubt that we, we could have speak spoke about or speak about in the next sort of what's happened in the last few weeks but yeah look it's, it's a, for, for me uh, on a personal level it's like a new season for me this is it fresh start new season and off we go for the till the end of the year and then until the mid of next year so looking forward to it mate yeah, well, this is it. Boxing season is really just about to start once more. All the amateurs are starting to get their boxing cards through. The boxing season is starting. Big fights are going to be coming up over the next few weeks towards the end of September and obviously into October as well. So we've got plenty of big fight previews and reaction shows coming up. But this is a great chance to to put these episodes out here and just have conversations about these things that are going on because we don't generally focus too much on that when we are covering big fights because we want to focus on the fights so this is a perfect opportunity to now start speaking about all of the stuff that has been going on and, and I suppose like you can just start wherever you want to start today Johnston because there's just so many different things to discuss and we will get through with them all in this episode that we've listed down but what was the one prominent thing going into this episode that you really was looking forward to speaking about? Personally I suppose uh the fight, I mean, I know you did the fight preview and reaction to uh, Daniel and, and Usyk, Daniel Dubois and, and Alexander Usyk. And and uh, we, you, I know you mentioned the low blow. I put my sort of two pennies worth in the message to you, which you read out. Um, made me sound quite articulate the way you <laughs> you read it and read it out. 
Um, but yeah, I suppose the one thing I, I just just Frank Warren lodging his appeal for the low blow, and I, I, I'm a bit baffled by it to be honest. Um, it, it seems a bit crazy. I don't think anything's going to come of it. I think he's uh, he's 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 taking a shot at nothing, I, I suppose. But for me, you know, it was borderline. It was, you know, it was borderline low blow. Uh, we, we, for me, that was that's how I felt. I know that's how you felt, Sean. And um, no matter what, you can lodge as many pills as you want, unless Usyk wants to take the rematch. You take the rematch. Otherwise, there's for me, there's there's no reason for it to happen. I don't think there was much controversy or that surrounded it. I know Tyson Fury said he's two pennies worth, but obviously he's always going to mock him, isn't he? Because he's a rival, but. Other than that, I don't see the point in it, Sean. What is the point in this? It just seems like a, a waste of time. It's a waste of Daniel's time, to be fair, as well. He should just be getting back to the grindstone, trying to get himself back to the gym to get him back, back out and fighting again and get back to winning ways. I think the larger issue here that people are pointing out about this fight that I didn't really touch on in the reaction so myself, but I've since seen people's opinions on, is people are talking about this Frank Warren lodging an appeal as a little bit of a distraction away from the fact that people think that Daniel quit the fight again. You're thinking he's going down that whole Joyce route. Now, we didn't agree with the, the Joe Joyce fight. We felt like he genuinely had an eye socket injury and he chose to, to, to do the right thing and save himself from more damage. But seemingly, it looked like he'd be, he was able to carry on in the Usyk fight and you kind of got the impression that maybe he just his heart and desire had gone and you watch the post-fight press conferences and some of the interviews he's done in the aftermath of that fight and you can hear him say it himself you know he's totally demoralized after the fact he felt he'd won that fight after that shot in that round and was it a case of he was just so demoralized he couldn't carry on the fight or is it as what people are trying to suggest which is that he hasn't got any heart which I think is an unfair statement because if you didn't have any heart you wouldn't be in there in the first place However, people are saying he hasn't got the heart for the sport. When the going gets tough, he turns his back on it. I'm wondering what you're thinking about that statement and what people are generally suggesting is what really happened in the fight and, and that this appeal is just really a distraction from that. I think it's a great point. I think that is uh, definitely something that it masks it, doesn't it? You know, he lodges an appeal saying, you know, Daniel's won and forgetting about the fact that, you know, he did get put over by a jab. Look, any man that steps in the ring, you know, gets my respect. Um, and for me, does he quit? Did he quit? I don't think he did. I think he just, he's just, he's not a quitter. I don't think he's a quitter. People will throw that around. Um, and it's easy for people to suggest this, especially when you're sitting behind a laptop and uh, ranting away and, and being a right nuisance on social media. You know, some of these guys ain't got the bollocks to be stepping in the ring and firing Usyk at the end of the day. Um uh, I feel that he was fatigued. I think that's always been a problem with Daniel. I think that's something he really needs to explore because I think he got tired, Sean. Oh, and that's just my general opinion. And that's what I always felt would happen eventually, that he would tire and Usyk would just be... He, he's, he's just too fast, too fast paced for him. He, he outfought him, in literally outfought him and outfought him, if you know what I mean. Um, and yeah, that is simple as that. Daniel was just too tired. And and the fact, the fact is, is Frank Warren's like, you know, trying to promote this uh, Fury and Garnu fight and saying that this is a genuinely tough fight for Fury is ridiculous. And then he goes and lodges appeal against Usyk. And, and then on the next side, you've got Fury calling them both quitters. Uh, and Fury's response is, is that Dubois is a quitter and Usyk was a quitter because he got hit. They're both little quitters. He said, little quitting pussy, I think he called Usyk. Um, 
So look, I think he masks it though, Sean, the appeal. Nothing's going to come of it. It's a waste of time. Maybe, maybe I, I don't know. I mean, what are you going to be putting your money into investing in this? Frank Warren, it just seems a bit dull for me. He should be investing it in in his fight cards and improving them, really. Yeah, I agree on that. I think it's uh, a pointless exercise. You should just be encouraging Daniel to get back to the gym, encouraging what the next steps are in his career rather than dwelling on a moment that isn't going to change. That this things in his head as well, though, yeah. isn't he? He's putting that thought in his head that he's been robbed. And you're sort of hearing him after, and it's like it's you can almost hear Frank Warren saying them words that are coming out of Daniel's mouth. I just think it's 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 a pointless waste of time. Maybe look at the fact that you've been put down by a jam. How did that happen? Conditioning. It's, I think it's pretty clear with Daniel. He's almost like the younger Frank Bruno, isn't he? he was, although I think Bruno had more of a condition than what, what Daniel has. I think past six, he's in trouble. I think that's something that will start to become more evident in time as more fights happen for him again, if he gets propelled into a big fight again. If it was to happen for a third time, then it's going to be really hard to make a case for him, you know, in terms of having that heart and desire and determination because for for, for you to be that way in a fight is... You're going to get labelled in a certain way and I think that label is going to stick with him a little bit now unless he can change that label by overcoming adversity. I think people felt like the Kevin Lorena fight was a little bit of a way of overcoming that adversity. And, and, and showing that he had that heart to be able to overcome it after being dropped three times. But then, you know, to seemingly be sort of put down by a jab and then just seemingly not carry on, you know, and not show the enthusiasm or the will or desire to carry on, it was just kind of like evident to everybody watching it and he just didn't really want to be there anymore. So that that's an issue, yeah, conditioning's an issue. It's, it's so unfair though, isn't it? So it's so bad how people can just label someone a quitter yep. like that and just throw it out, throw him under the bus like that. I just, I don't like it. I, I, honestly, I, it, it grinds me a little bit because I just think people just, they just, even sort of ex-pros say it and it doesn't help the situation. It really doesn't. That's not going to help Daniel, is it, on a mental mentally when he steps in the ring i just it's it's harsh i think it's harsh you know just how easy we throw these kids a kid man just throw him under the bus i just look all right maybe there is a little bit of that in him maybe maybe when he feels it he gets hurt but that's something that you can address honestly i believe you can i don't know sean i think it's harsh i think it's harsh i really do and i think it doesn't help when he's ex professional fighters and even current fighters like Tyson Fury come out and say what they say because people jump on the bandwagon and just label him a quitter and it's unfair to Daniel. So another fight that you missed on the Big Fight Preview show was of course Smith and Eubank and I did the reaction show to that last week and I ended up attending it as everybody heard and you know there was more fights in the crowd entertaining fights in the crowd than there was actually going on in the ring at times uh, however in the aftermath of it we heard a lot of things coming out from Smith I mentioned it in the show 42 pound weight loss for the fight a back injury that hampered the fight and then I watched another interview with his trainer, Joe McNally, after that episode went live, after I did the reaction show, and I watched this interview, I think it was booked with Boxing News, and he basically said the situation he was presented with was that, you know, he was told they had to make a certain date, that was that was, that was was it, you had to make that date, if you didn't make that date, the fight wasn't going to happen, uh, there was obviously a lot of money involved, estimates around a million pounds, apparently, could be totally wrong, that's just what I've read, and just what I've seen on social, but a lot of money was involved in it, and hence why the decision to carry on, despite the issues with having to cut so much weight. 
was was made. That decision was made because there was a lot of money on the table, and he decided to still get in the ring and do it. And it just prompted a lot of questions for me as to why he would have made that decision. And money clearly was a, was a factor in it. And I just kind of still feel the same as I did last week when I did the show, Johnston. That I still think like, how did he get himself so out of shape or so overweight in the first place? I mean, even if you do sustain a back injury, I've sustained injuries in my time, and, and, you know, you can easily put weight on if you do not do anything to sort that out. And that is basically having a really good diet. If you keep your diet on point, then you're not going to have a problem with your weight. Your weight's going to be fine. You're not going to have as much weight to chop off. 42 pounds is like three stones. That was a lot of weight for him to chop off in a in a short period of time. So for me, I still think that was, it was quite unprofessional for that then to come out after the fight had happened and the excuses came out and I also think then it just takes away you know what people said was Eubank's best performance of his career well he was fighting a weight drained pretty much dead at the weight guy so of course he was going to look really good doing that against somebody who wasn't throwing anything back so I still again I say as I did last week it's not his best performance it looked good it looked like Eubank was on point he was firing on all cylinders but then when all this comes out afterwards, it makes you think, well, if that would have been the Smith of the first fight, who was really up for it, mentally prepared, injury-free, no issues with weight, would it have been the same fight? Because we thought Smith would take this fight, didn't we? Yeah, we did. I, I generally thought that Smith would, would actually stop Eubank because I felt that Eubank Jr. was on the slide a little bit. He just didn't look right in that first fight, but... No, yeah, you, you were right. He he uh, done the business. You know, he was. It was sort of it's funny because the first fight, the, the second fight went how we thought the first fight would go. You know, the Eubank would pretty much take the fight conclusively and go on and win it on points in the end. I know he stopped him, but it it, it was weird. And then you sort of flip it and you're watching the sort of the, the rematch and you're expecting Smith to do with that in the first. And it, the, the crazy thing of the whole situation is Smith didn't need to take this fight and the fact that he has this issue this issue of weight we had to to, to lose so much weight before the fight isn't good for your health it certainly didn't uh, improve his performance and then you've also got to look at the fact clearly you know he had a foot injury in that fight around the second round it was it's, it's notable uh, I'm not taking anything away from Chris Eubank Jr I think he won the fight and he and he won it well but Liam was a sitting duck in there at times and uh, he just unloaded on him um, and he looked good because he was a standing, it was just a standing target. It was like a punching bag at times, Liam. Well below par, par performance, but when you look at it, you look at the, the foot injury, which I think he clearly had, Sean, just, I've watched it again since I've been back and, and it, it, I think it's pretty noticeable. Um, and obviously the weight issue. So, you know, there's, there's arguments there that there should be a trilogy and I know it's a weird one because you look at it and you're thinking, I mean, it's not the greatest of trilogies of all time if you ever look at it in the history of the sport as we look at it years gone by now. But it's one that probably should happen um, because of the fact that he didn't need to take the rematch himself when he took it. And Eubank had a, had a full of, was full of excuses with the elbow. So in a way, you know, if, if Eubank wants to be a man of his words, you know, and I, I feel that he should give him the fight. I think the third fight should happen. I know it's not going to do great numbers. I, I don't know, maybe the more the fight comes up, he might be more interested in it. But it's not a third fight you really want to see. But it's unfair on Smith, isn't it, that he doesn't get his chance? Because I think he would put in a better performance. I think we're just going to have to wait and see how, how, how that all pans out. I think the talk at the moment on social media is Eubank versus Ben. That's naturally the fight that's going to sell massively. Like, you know, people still want to see it regardless of 
what they think about Conor Ben and his situation. People are already vying for it. You know, I've seen professionals go out there and say, oh, let's get them at Wembley and let's see that fight happen. You know, taking aside the whole drugs issue, people just want to see the fight. But as a side note, something obviously we didn't have a chance to, to sort of speak about before doing this episode and something that happened in the aftermath of the Smith-Eubank fight was, of course, uh, Bolak, the trainer, being uh, detained for having a firearms at uh, Manchester Airport. And he's now been detained. He's going for a hearing. I think it's the 6th or the 9th of October springs out of my head. So he's now in custody in Stockport in Greater Manchester at the moment. And it's not funny. I'm laughing, but it's not funny. It's just crazy to even think about it. How did he get into the country with that in the first place? Did he procure it from this country? Did he get it from somebody here? Or did he get through customs in the US and the UK with that in his possession? And automatically that gives you a five-year sentence I'm just wondering what the hell was going on, why he was in that situation in the first place, and, you know, is he going to end up in prison, and is Eubank Jr. going to end up losing a trainer who seemingly, in many people's eyes, has reinvigorated him, and then that's also a problem for Terence Crawford, because that's also his trainer, and it looks like he might be fighting Spence in a rematch later this year. Yeah, it's, 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 a, it's a funny one. I mean, I heard that he obviously got arrested for um, obviously in possession of a firearm, which is, yeah, as you say, it's interesting. Did he, he must have bought it over, but then how did he get that through customs? And I mean, crazy. I mean, I, I, as I've mentioned at the top of the show, I was sort of just going to Spain and the the checks are insane. Uh, it's, it's mad. So if we got my bag swabbed at one point and from whatever, some sort of substance that was probably picked up from, from the taxi that took us to the airport. So it's crazy, like literally, how someone could get a firearm into the country. So, yes, this is Sean. He probably did get it over here. And what's he carrying a firearm in, in this country for? I don't know. I mean, I know, I don't know. I, I don't know the ins and outs of it. Was it a gun that he had? But even then, you can't travel to this country with it, even if it was licensed. I don't know. Uh, strange one. And will he go down? I, I, I mean, I believe he would just be deported back home, surely, and then probably be given a a certain length of time where he won't be able to travel back to this country and, and he won't be in the corner of Chris Eubank Jr. or any other British fighter on these shores or any, even if, uh, whether it be Terence Crawford that come over here, for instance, and fought, he wouldn't be allowed in his corner. I reckon that would be what happened. He'll be sent home and then he won't be allowed back in Great Britain for the next two years or something because of this situation. But yeah, fascinating. And, and the fact is, you just mentioned it there, Sean, Smith, um, not Smith, sorry, uh, Spence Jr. Uh, he, he's actually going to go ahead with the second fight, which is interesting. I mean, look, could we could be in a situation where you bank Smith and, you know, and, and it is a complete reverse of the first fight. So maybe there was weight issue there on Spence Jr.'s part and therefore he wants the rematch. But it's interesting, isn't it, igniting that rematch clause. Well, he said, and what I've read is he said that he wants it at a catchweight this time. So automatically you think weight issue straight away don't you when he yeah. says that and then you think well if he wasn't 100% on point at that point why did he go ahead with the fight in the first place but then I suppose you know I, I would have been a little bit disappointed if he would have pulled out at the last minute and said oh I'm sorry I can't make the weight I'm not going to fight you know or if he was making issues with weight then maybe there should have been some sort of disposition regarding the fight but then again the sanctioning bodies probably wouldn't have allowed all the titles to be on the line because he couldn't make the weight so in his mind, if if he's even if he struggled with the weight, he took his chance at glory and an opportunity, and he's come up short by taking that chance. And now he wants to exercise the rematch clause and do it at a catchweight. The fight will be will be 
still as as probably hyped as the first one just because people still believe there's many excuses as to why Spence lost that first fight so I still do think it'll be an interesting rematch because you just never know how the fight could turn as you've rightly just pointed out you know we, we've seen it with Smith versus Eubank too this could completely change my money's on the fact that Spence won't be able to come in and do anything different that that will affect Crawford I think Crawford will have his number and you know he will move on and and maybe look at an even bigger fight with Canelo, which is something that's been spoke about recently as well on, on social media and by both parties as well. So, yeah, Spence exercising his right for the rematch is interesting. Uh, I suppose for me, it's just, will it happen? If it happens, will he come any differently into the fight? I suppose we can only wait and see, but it is interesting news. I'm, I'm surprised after the systematic beatdown he got in that first fight that he's decided he wants to go back there again. Yeah, I am. Um, but, you know, as you say, it was a massive fight. I still, we still have him as he's sort of in the top 10 pound for pound fighters at the moment, current pound for pound top 10. He still still sits in there, doesn't he? So just because of the defeat to Crawford, who's, who's the top of his game at the minute, um, yeah, I, 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 you've got to give him his, his accolades for it. Yeah, and, and the fact he wants to go a weight higher whether that will be in the in the clause I mean like, it's interesting to see what that clause is and it, he, acted, he, he ignites his rematch clause but is he not going to be the same weight is there maybe it was something in there that just says he just he can put forward any other weight um, maybe both fighters maybe Crawford may even want to move up himself um, but yeah fascinating and and look do you know what Crawford spent I'm, I'll, I'll happily watch that again um, and I hope it is more competitive because it'll be a great fight if it is so other things that have been going on then that we haven't had the chance to catch up on properly. The press conference this last week between Fury and Francis Ngannou uh, created a little bit of a stir and probably not for the actual main event itself. We knew what we were getting with that main event. Fury turned up and he looked he looked a bit fatter than he's done before in some of these press conferences, to be honest. If, if, if I'm looking at previous instances where he's turned up with his belly out, he actually looked a little bit fatter than what he normally does going into this press conference. I didn't really make much of it because, you know, that genuinely doesn't interest me as a, as a fan. Um, I, I'll watch it when it comes around, but it doesn't interest me. I'm, I'm not interested in getting hyped up by watching the press conferences. You know, I'll watch the highlights and I'll watch the notable moments from it. But the actual the bullshit that 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 Fury talks is not really something that I'm sort of going to sit there for an hour and, and listen to. So I, I tended I tended to switch off from, from that part of it. But what did really catch my eye was obviously they were announcing that on the undercard of this fight was going to be the British title fight between Fabio Wardley and David Adelaide, and then all of a sudden we end up seeing this brawl that happened where David Adelaide comes into an interview that. Fabio Wardley's in, starts getting in his face, he pushes him back, Fabio Wardley stumbles back, he then sort of goes to go forward again and stumbles and then someone in, in David Adelaide's team throws this sort of left hook as Fabio Wardley's sort of stumbling and going down anyway and then he cuts him on the side of his head and it's like, why would you do something like that after there's an announcement for such a big British title heavyweight fight and then this sort of stuff happens. Surely that fight now is going to get scrapped. Surely that isn't going to happen now. I mean, people will want to see it even more now because of that. But surely that that can't happen now, given what happened there. Yeah, with a cut. I mean, yeah, he's cut there. Um, whether they tried to build up their fight a little bit and it's, it's gone wrong. Um, 
and uh, I don't know, it's a weird one. Or was it just literally emotions running high and someone said something, someone's annoyed someone and and that's how it's turned out. But yeah, I mean, it, it's, it's he's not got to fight with the cut. I mean, it's just, that'd be stupid of him to do it. It's a big fight for him. So yeah, they've, they've, they've shot themselves in the foot tried to build up their own fight and it's turned into a bit of a disaster well it wasn't Fabio's it wasn't it wasn't Fabio's Sorry. fault though it wasn't Fabio's fault that's the thing like Fabio was oh, in, in the middle of an interview he was in the middle of an interview and it was David Adelaide that was coming over chatting shit to him I know they'd been back and forth but he was the one coming over chatting shit he was the one that physically pushed him and then it was one of his members of his entourage that threw that hook in that's caused him to end up with a cut on his head so now that fight isn't going to happen on that card and yeah okay it'll build a bit of hype up but surely you would have wanted to be on that card because it's a big money card in Saudi isn't it yeah they're going to get eyes on them and yeah so he's it's just silly isn't it I mean it's stupid I mean we, we do we've done our boxing brawls haven't we um, this is one to add to the list now <laughs> but he hasn't yeah I don't know it's going to add some spice to it People, more people are going to want to see it but yet you've lost a, a great slot on a card that I won't, I mean, you just said it yourself, I won't be watching the fight. Um, I'll, I'll check the result probably the next day just to find out that Tyson's just got rid of this fella. I mean, if it had been Tyson Fury with one hand behind his back, I'd, I'd probably pay more of an interest, to be honest. I think it'd be a bit more of a fairer fight. Um, I just think it's just ridiculous. I I'm not on this this bridge, this crossover thing. But yeah, you. I mean, look, going back to the Wardley incident, I mean, it's, it's unfortunate for him. Uh, as you say, he, he didn't do anything wrong. And now the fight's going to get postponed and, and be put on some other card. Maybe, though, you know, top of the bill, uh, some at the O2, maybe maybe they can get a few more numbers over here um, and push that fight out and push the, the brawl, um, call it something like, I don't know, the brawl in somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, look, it's, it's just straight with Sean, isn't it? I mean... I don't know whether someone, you know, whether the old commissioners or uh, boxing commissioner are going to come in and probably uh, might even throw out some suspensions or at least some fines. I think they'll dish out a few fines um, and get some money for that. Yeah, I know. It's a shame because I was looking forward to seeing it, to be honest. Yeah. I would I would have tuned into the card more for that, if anything. And will it have been the first time a British title fight has been held on a show on a foreign land and a foreign soil, because oh, yeah. you know that that would that would have yeah. been that would have been the other thing as well. So they've kind of really messed it up by doing that. So you know, I think if anything, they're both just going to lose out on a, on a, on a probably a better payday. Because even if it filled the O2, I don't think see they'd get as much money at the O2 as they would fighting on that undercard. I would have thought they'd got more because the Saudis are paying for this. It's an extravaganza. You know, it's a crossover yeah. event. UFC former heavyweight champion, uh, seemingly one of the best in the heavyweight division to do it. And then you've got Tyson Fury in the boxing side of the world and one of the best to ever do it in boxing. So it's like, you know, there's there's, there's a lot of selling going on with the fight, but it just doesn't whet anybody's appetite and nobody really is asked about it. And and, and, and I'm not even going to spend any more time talking about it because I'm genuinely not that bothered about the fight. I think it's uh, just one of them crossover things that really doesn't interest me in the slightest. So uh, I'll move on to other things then. I know there was um, a lot of conversations going on regarding drugs testing again. Uh, more fighters have tested positive for adverse findings. And you sent me some really good information, Johnston, regarding UCAD and about testing. So I wanted you to go through that again and just sort of go through it with uh, the the listeners on on the pod and let them know like what you was referring to when you messaged me about it because I think it's really interesting information. 
Yeah, it was really interesting information with UCAD in particular and obviously Conor Ben's situation and uh, he wasn't cleared and then the Boxing Board of Control decided to appeal the decision, although UCAD, it's not quite clear whether they cleared him or not. They just sort of said he's clear, he's, he's okay to fight. He wasn't cleared. Yes, right. He wasn't cleared, but he's okay to fight. And then the Boxing Board of Control have now decided to appeal that decision. And obviously there's a lot of talk about this and, and it was on TalkSport where uh, one of the UCAD representatives went on the show and he made some great points and some points that was more that, that I didn't know. And I, I sort of sent it to you, Sean, because as I was listening to it, it was just, just sort of pricked me ears up. I couldn't believe it. So UCAD actually have to police 40 different sports with just 9 million quid. So that's 40 different sports. Now, this isn't sort of, this This isn't, the money is is not split across all 40 of those sports um so you don't have uh whatever it is i think it's like 20 i think we worked it out to be like twenty thousand or oh, twenty thousand active fighters sorry so it was um yeah like i can't remember the amounts it was but it's not evenly distributed basically so you've got 40 different sports nine million quid so i think it was 225 tests that are completed by ucad a year and that money if it was distributed evenly across all sports, that would be 20, and there's 20,000 active pro boxers in the UK at the minute. So put it this way. So 225 tests completed a year. You've got 20,000 active boxers. And how and how on earth are they supposed to, to police this, Sean? I think that's the point we were getting at. 20,000 active pro boxers, 20, 225 tests completed a year. Yet, Conor Ben still gets picked up on something. So, most of those tests are for the big fights. They're very rarely for the low, sort of, the low key, the, the small hall fights. I mean, it just, it, for me, I think it, all it points to the fact is UCAD just haven't really got a chance in hell of keeping boxing clean. And even the guy I mentioned on there as well, that boxing is pretty much like the Wild West. That was his exact words. So... I don't know, Sean. I think it was a point that needed to be brought up. I didn't realise it was 40 different sports that they had to to monitor. I thought it was not just boxing, but 40 separate sports is insane for only 9 million quid, isn't it? I think it's horrendous. When you sent me that information, I was like, oh my God, that, that, that really puts it into perspective how much investment needs going into this side of things because the more and more fighters that are being testing positive for adverse findings or banned substances is just becoming so much more prominent now and as a result of that it's starting to turn many many people off the sport and people like us who absolutely love the sport you know we, we, it's hard for us to pull away from it completely because of what we do with the podcast of course and, and we enjoy the fights that when they're made and the good good match fights are made and good cards are on you know we really enjoy watching the sport but then you get all this sort of stuff happening it and you just think to yourself, like, what what is the point at times? It's, it's... And Terence Crawford, actually, I'm going off on a tangent here, but Terence Crawford actually did an interview with somebody, and I've seen it floating around on social a few times, and the first thing he says about it in the interview is, boxing is one of the most corrupted sports in the world. And that's Terence Crawford. Terence Crawford says that himself. Terence Crawford is at the peak of his powers, you know, two-way undisputed champion. And he sits there and he says boxing is the most corrupted sport out there. So when you've got people at the top of the chain saying that, you, you know for a fact that he has been through some adverse issues over his time, racial issues over at top rank. We know there was some issues between him and Bob Arum, which were alleged but never really substantiated. But a lot of people said it was to do with his race and that 
Bob Arum didn't like him because of that. Uh, again, allegations that were made a while ago, but when you get someone like that at the top of the sport speaking out about it, that's sometimes when it when it when you've really got to stand up and, and listen and go, do you know what? If if a guy like this who's making money at the top of the sport like this is saying this, then to me it just indicates that he, he's 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 dealt with it at some point down the line. He's dealt with it, and he knows people that have dealt with it. He's got other fighting friends that have dealt with this situation. And then when you get these situations where you get fights like Eubank and Smith, and there's no VADA testing for it, and then they openly come out the day before the, the weigh-in and say there's been no VADA testing for this fight, and you're thinking, why? Why has there been no VADA testing for this fight? Why is it not made public knowledge that this is part of the fight process? for a big fight such as this why why are you not testing these guys you know it's like when you've got such a significant fight uh you should be it should be absolutely paramount and part of the contract that this happens but it doesn't matter even if it's a significant fight to me when you're in a sport where you can potentially kill somebody whether it's a local leisure center show they should be tested everybody should be tested but it all boils down to what you've said earlier nine million pounds that you could have between 40 different sports it's naturally they're not going to be able to service every single fighter, every single fight card that goes on in the country, and it's a problem. And and and, and that's if they look. So that nine million, that's what two hundred twenty-five. So that's where the two hundred, sort of two hundred twenty-five tests come from, which is a thousand pound per test for you, can which is they've improved it to a blood test. So that's two hundred twenty-five thousand. That's if it's distributed distributed between the forty sports equally, which they probably say isn't the case. So they will probably give sections to other sports probably the more meaningful sports in in, in the country uh, i mean boxing is up there and the fact that it's a contact sport you would think more investment sh- from that nine million should be put into boxing but the fact that you've got a guy that represents ucad calling boxing the wild west when it comes to drug testing for ucad and then you still get Conor Ben getting caught is ridiculous i mean it is it's, it's it really is the wild west it's a minefield and then when you look at vada i think theirs is like I think this is 10,000, 10,000 a test. I think if I, if I remember rightly from what I've heard, 10,000 quid or $10,000 just to do one test and you have to sign up to that program, which is a charity organized program. I tried to read in a little bit with Arda, but it is, it's obviously funded better than what UCAD is. However, you have to sign up to it to be involved in it. Some boxers ain't, you know, you should make it mandatory. And, but it's only the big fights though, isn't it, Sean? Again, who... If you're, we're talking about small fights around the world, how many of them are going to get VADA involved to spend $10,000 per fighter to get them tested? And that's what, just one test? I mean... They're never going to be able to put a show on, are they? never going to be clean, is it? No, exactly. They're never going to be able to put a show on. That's why it doesn't get done at the lower level, because the promoters uh, have got to try and make even at least on the shows uh, before they can even think about making a profit. You add that into the equation and they're not going to do it. But surely there's got to be some sort of investment externally that goes into it rather than subjecting the promoters. I know promoters have a, a duty of care, obviously, to a degree, but surely if it's if it's a sport, then who who's responsible for paying for that? Is it the fighters? Do the fighters need to pay for that? Do the management, do the promotion, who, who pays for these testing if it was to be implemented in that way? Who then is subjected to it? Because these guys enroll themselves into to different testing regimes, whether it's VADA, whether it's UCAD, 
who pays for it? Is it the fighters that should be paying for it? Is it the promotion? Should it be part of a contract for a fight? And then if that's the case, how does it work at the lower level? Well, it seemingly doesn't. So you get all these lower level small hall shows where every single one of them fighters on a show could be juicing, could be on some sort of performance enhancing drug and you'll never know until they get to a higher level in their career where they then are subjected to testing. So it's a huge issue. It's a huge issue. And I don't think we're ever going to get a definitive on this because it's just going to keep happening. But this year, a lot of just Just one more thing is the guy, the representative guy, he said on there, he said what they look for, because it's such a small budget, they have to look at each athlete, whatever sport it is, and, and they, they sort of have to navigate their way through, I mean, 20,000 professional boxers. God knows how many in other sports, but they have to check. Say, say for instance, within a year, someone's time on a on a running track has dramatically increased. Then they will go. We're gonna we're gonna investigate it. We're gonna give them. We'll, we'll issue a test for that person because there's such a dramatic rise in their performance. Hence, why Conor Ben got caught because we gave him fighter of the year. Do you remember, Sean? We gave him we yep. gave him Great Britain fighter of the year. Great Britain Ireland fighter of the year before he got caught. Because of his dramatic improvement. So that is the only way they're able to pinpoint situations and athletes to then go, right, we're going to test his purpose. But then what what happens, though, if if someone dies as a result of it and then they test them and they find out they're on drugs? It's too little too late, isn't it? Yeah, this is it. Yeah. Then then the investment's not going to be there. So what people decide to do is they call for the sport to be abolished and just just get rid of the sport because Mm -hmm. it's not worth it. Because it's just not, they're gonna not going to invest that amount of money into it. I don't know. I mean, unless it gets skimmed from the top. I mean, it's the only time, Sean, we're ever going to get a situation where this this sport will eventually start getting tidied up is when someone does die in the ring after someone's on pets. Um, so yeah, I, it's it's crazy to say and it's scary, but you know you can't. We we were never one to to hide from these matters, and and I think it's a major problem. Yeah, well, we know it. Everybody knows it. It's just, what else can you do about it other than talk about it and bring light to it? And, you know, everybody brings that consistent message out. That's all you can do. And eventually someone will start to stand up and take notice and and hopefully change the situation. Well, we're not going to continue to talk about peds and drugs because it is dominating the last 10 minutes of this episode. We are going to focus on a few few other bits as well, of course. Uh, So another bit of information that we've seen over the past week or so is Deontay Wilder coming out and saying that he's going to stick around for another three years. And quoting Deontay Wilder, he said, I'm going to bless the world my last three years with some of the best fights they have ever seen. The people they want as long as they don't run. What do you make of that? I like I like to hear stuff like that from fighters, but um, the trouble is, is these negotiations just just don't tend to happen, do they? Um, I mean, even Tyson Fury in his in his recent rant sort of mentioning the fact that this guy ducked me, this guy ducked me, and and then he's even in, sort of mentioning the fact that he unless Usyk doesn't take such a smaller share of the portion, then um, he won't fight him. Um, so I think we're going to get a lot of this. Uh, Wilder, I think Wilder will fight Joshua. I think that fight's happening. By hearing those words from Deontay Wilder, that means the Joshua fight for him is on. Joshua keeps saying it's on. Hopefully, that is a fight we will get. And then I think Ruiz is is another one he probably needs to fight um, to get himself right back in line for titles. And I would like to even see him fight Usyk. I think Usyk, I believe Usyk Wilder could happen before Usyk Fury. I think 
I mean, that's saying if if Wilder does a does a job on Joshua, uh, we still don't know what's good, if that fight's actually going to happen or not. But it's great words. I like that. I like hearing things like that. And um, hopefully, he is around for the next three years. <laughs> that would be another three fights, really, uh, one yeah. fight a year. So what, Joshua, and then who next? I would like to say Usyk, um, and then potentially probably a Tyson Fury or Ruiz for a fourth Tyson Fury. Fight. I don't know if I'll be interested, but maybe Ruiz. I don't know, but. Big fights for Deontay Wilder then for the next three years. Terrific. Well, interestingly, on the topic of obviously Deontay Wilder and the heavyweight division, the latest WBC heavyweight rankings at the moment, obviously the champions Tyson Fury. Uh, number one is Deontay Wilder. Number two is Anthony Joshua. Now, these have just been released. Now, that really signifies to me that if they're making both of them number one and number two, that fight is pretty much on the cards. We do believe it's on the cards. Hopefully, there won't be any issues and it will happen uh, earlier next year. And then at number three, you've got Arslanabek Makhmadov. You've got Frank Sanchez at four. Andy Ruiz has dropped to five. Jared Anderson's moved up to six, which I think is quite significant. But look, he's been really active and he's fought some really good opponents. Fair play to him. FA Ajagba, number seven. Dillian White drops to number eight. Martin Bacoli is number nine. Joseph Parker at 10. Philippe Hergovic is down to 11. Daniel Dubois down to 12. Ajit Kayabel, who's number 13. Otto Volin, who's number 14. And Bakadir Jalalov at number 15. Now, I've noticed that Otto Volin is actually fighting Murat Gassiev uh, in a fight which has been billed by Wasserman as a fight of avoided heavyweights, uh, which I find quite an interesting title for this, uh, given that really these two guys haven't been insignificant fights for quite some time but what do you actually make then of the, the the slight shift in that top 15 more so in the top 10 really I think notable for me Johnson is probably Jared Anderson going up to number six I think that's quite significant Joshua and Wilder number one and number two respectively uh Makhmadov at number three I found that quite interesting what did you make of the changes yeah, Makhmadev, no, not a three, no way. Sanchez, not a four for me. I think they're way behind. Not way, but they are, they're way behind. Um, let's just get that right. Um, if you're just looking at, it's almost like they're just looking at who's not lost and who's sort of fought recently. I don't know. Uh, for me, Ruiz should be higher than Makhmadev and Sanchez. I think uh, White should be higher. End of the day, yes, there's a drug issue, but, you know, he's not been suspended or anything yet so he does deserve to be high they don't just drop him because of this I think Bacoli I put Bacoli above Makhmadev for me maybe up there with Sanchez Hergovic needs to be higher uh, Dubois maybe about right Olin, Otto Volin yeah probably about right maybe squeezing the top 10 just outside of it yeah so I'm not with the <laughs> 3 and 4 show I don't know about that Um, I mean Frank Sanchez you could creep me in at, sort of in the top 10 but <laughs> no, and obviously the the one name there that d- disappears is obviously Alexander Usyk doesn't even get a mention. Um, he, I don't quite get that. Just because he doesn't hold your title, it doesn't, and he holds different titles in different divisions. I, I just I find it crazy. They just don't rank these fighters. No, nope. if anything, Usyk Where, should be at number one, shouldn't he? Well, where's Joyce and Zank? Do you know where's what I mean? Joyce and Zank. Yeah. Exactly. It doesn't make sense, does it? It's weird because they're fighting in a couple of weeks and yet none of them have been put in the top 15, whereas arguably both of them should be in the top 15 and you should be getting rid of certain fighters out of that top 15, you know, like who, who really shouldn't be there. So yeah, it is, it is daft and obviously it is does all boil down to sanctioning fees and money and people going different routes with, with titles and 
you know, favoritism, of course, with different promotional companies and management teams. I know all that comes into it. He shouldn't do, but he does. And that top 15 doesn't really reflect how we feel about the heavyweight division. I mean, we did our list a couple of weeks ago, didn't we, when we talked about like a top yeah. 10 in the heavyweight division. And, and some of these guys didn't really feature in it whatsoever. They weren't even getting a sniff of the top 10. So to see these listings and these rankings is a bit like, ugh, this is just shows how out of touch they can be at times the WBC uh, with this sort of stuff so you know that that's not for me personally Wilder and Joshua number one number two yeah absolutely you know I'll nail that on I'm happy with that like that, that that just signifies that that fight will happen and then put them in line potentially to fight Tyson Fury at some point but the rest of it is just like like you say it feels like they've just gone down the list of box rec and look at who's undefeated in the heavyweight division and decided that actually we're going to stick a few of those guys in there to make it a bit more credible but if anything, real boxing fans know that's not really a credible a credible top 15 because there's guys that are not in there that should be and guys that probably don't make that top 15 and top 10. So, yes, yeah, not not for me personally, guys listening. I, I think you guys would probably think it's different as well. I'd be very surprised if any of you guys listening come back and dropped a message and said, actually, you know what? I think that's a top top fifteen. It's, I can't see anybody saying that because it's it's not it's not the great. It's it's a bit mismatched. To be fair, you could imagine with this list, you can see Tyson Fury Macmadov after this 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 fight yeah. with Vangano. Yeah. Um. Yeah. I hope not. I hope not. So moving on then to other news, Tiafimo Lopez has been made the WBO Super Champion at one forty. So could potentially move up to one four seven to fight someone like a Terence Crawford. So, interesting that, that they've done that for him, to be honest with you. And, and it just gives him the opportunity to fight at that division, at 147, against the WBO champion, who is obviously Terence Crawford at this moment in time. And whether that stays that way is a different thing. I'm really interested to see what Tiafimo does next. You know, we've got Regis Progray and Devin Haney fighting up at this division, uh, 140, and that's being announced for the 9th of December now. So, you know, what does Tiafimo do in the meantime? Does he take a fight up at 147 to test the waters uh, before he sort of starts shouting his mouth off about challenging someone like a Crawford, depending on, obviously, where his rematch with Spence goes and whether that stays back for undisputed at welterweight again? Um, but what did you make of that decision? And, and yeah, I mean that... it's interesting because in, with him being the super champion, he now you know when you are so with the WBO especially. So if you're sort of a champion in, in a weight below, it makes you almost automatic mandatory for the champion in the weight above or the weight below, whatever you suggested doing. And I think that's what many people I've sort of suggested online is maybe Lopez could potentially force a fight with Crawford if Crawford decided not to take the rematch. It'd be a good fight. I would. I think Crawford uh, would deal with Lopez, but I think that would. I mean, it'd be a good fight for Lopez to have. Still, I think he needs to stick around at one forty. Um, but yeah, the WBO Super Champion he is been elevated to. Um, but yeah, there's still more names in this division, Sean, as you mentioned that he really should be fighting next. He had a great performance against Taylor, so I'm interested to see what he does. He needs to follow up with another big win, though, doesn't he? And uh, it would be a statement, goodness me, if he did put himself forward to want to fight Crawford in a way above and force a mandatory fight with him. Um, this is, I suppose the one thing is, is with him, sort of Crawford being undisputed, he, if, if they're undisputed, I'm sure, I think he, he has a year, 12 months, and most of these sort of commissions, they're always the same, where they give you 12 months where you can fight whoever you want. So he can fight, but he doesn't have to really fight spent straight away. Maybe, maybe he'd have to pay some money if he doesn't do that. 
Um, but the ball's in his court. Crawford's flying at the top of everyone's pound for pound list, and rightfully so. He's the man at the top man. Him in a new way. I mean, it's great. Two two great fires. Um, so, so yeah, Lopez. Good luck to the fella. I hope he follows you up with a nice window, Sean. The last thing he needs is to to take a, a an average fight and and perform averagely. Um, and people, you know, you're only as good as your last fight. So at the minute, he's in a, he's in a good position. Yeah, he is in a good position. Well, Lyndon Arthur got the victory last week and became the IBO light heavyweight champion after a great turnaround against his opponent, Brian Suarez. And the rumour is now that everyone's been tweeting about, all the outlets have been putting on social media. He's at Dimitri Bivol. Looks like he wants to challenge for that IBO title against Lyndon Arthur. And I did actually tweet on the BTR Twitter account about it. Like, you know, I love Lyndon. I've watched his career uh, for the past five, six years. And I knew about him. I knew I knew that he would hopefully get to a certain level in his career. But this, this situation here is like, I feel like it's a little bit like a lamb to the slaughter situation where, you know, if they take that fight... I can see... I mean, I mean, he actually tweeted that it might be a late stoppage for Bivol and people was kind of like, nah, you're being a bit too generous there. I think you're looking at more three, four, five, six rounds for Bivol getting this fight. And and to be honest with you, I tend to agree with them that I think they're probably right now. Now people have said that. Um, but what do you think about that fight being spoke about? Is it just a ploy really from Bivol's side to, to pick up another title and have more worth in the, the light heavyweight division going into a, a big super fight down the line with Artur Peturbiev? Yeah, I mean, it's it's it, it, Lyndon wants to push himself, um, and and I think um, I mean, there's no better way, no better fighter to fight really, other than Baturviev, than Bivol. Um, and I sort of feel for Bivol at a minute because he's sort of in no man's land. He goes and puts in two great performances in his last two fights, and, you know, a great win over Canelo, another good win over Ramirez, and he, he, it's like I don't know. It's weird. He should be fighting. He should be fighting Canelo for me again. But that's not happened. And people will blame him. And Paterbio situation. What's happening with that? I mean, they need to sort that out. I think that's just the fight that needs to happen. But with with their Russian links, it seems to be the stalling block. And who else is there for him to fight? I mean, I suppose um, Anthony Yard would have been a good one. Uh, Joshua Barazzi, you know against Bivol. Um, but I would say they're probably them two in particular you would have thought would be a nice fight for Bivol to have. But for some reason, yeah, Lyndon Arthur's name's been put forward and he will take the fight. Um, I'm with you though. Know, I, I do like Lyndon. I do. And I was happy for him when he beat Anthony Yard. But I think you're right. I think Bivol just dissects him and then eventually gets rid of him. I, I would say a good bet would be just over six rounds. I think Lyndon can last over six. So the last bit for this episode the last way we're going to leave this episode on a bit of a uh, on this day situation now we did used to put a little few episodes out back in the day when we did on this days and yeah. and it would it was just hard to maintain weren't they you know with scheduling yeah. times and stuff but we thought we'd throw it into the shooting the breeze episode as we come to the end of the show now and we talked about on this day september the 12th as this is when the episode has been released and September the 12th, 1951 is a very specific day in boxing history because that is the day Sugar Ray Robinson and Randolph Turpin had their rematch. So just 64 days after the jubilant scenes at Earl's Court following his triumph over Sugar Ray Robinson, Randy Turpin's reign as world champion was ended by a punishing stoppage in the 10th round in front of 61,370 people at the Polo Grounds in New York. 
The rematch was delicately poised when Turpin actually split Robinson's left eyebrow in the 10th and blood gushed from the wound like a spring. Now, fearing the referee was about to intervene, Robinson produced a blistering attack and actually dropped Turpin. The Brit got to his feet but was then pinned against the ropes and Robinson unloaded a frenzied assault with some of the punches actually being illegal. He swarmed him, he swarmed Turpin until a right flush on the chin prompted the referee, Ruby Goldstein, to stop it with eight seconds left of the 10th round. The fight was even when it was stopped. Goldstein actually scored it four rounds apiece with one even up to that 10th round. I know a lot of people said that this rematch was uh, very, very close. And I know when we did our uh, legendary nights previously on Sugar Ray Robinson and we've done our Dark Side of Boxing and Randy Turpin in particular where we, we ex explored this situation even more, it was certainly something we came up with when we looked into both of the fights. That it wasn't as one-sided as maybe people look back on history and think it was. No, it weren't. And the one thing I do remember, he had that sort of Ruby Ghost thing going over to him in the corner, uh, Shagray Robinson with a cut, and he sort of said to him, look, um, you've got you've got a round to do it. Um, and if you don't, I'm going to stop the fight with that cut. And he was like, all right. And he went out there and he just turned it on and uh, flipped the fight and got rid of Turpin. And I mean, tremendous, tremendous fighter, uh, Shagray Robinson. And Turpin, to his credit, we've done a, a great uh, Dark Side of Boxing episode on Turpin. A tragic ending for him but um, he was a tremendous middleweight he really was and only 64 days after winning it uh, he's, he's fighting Earl's Colt and then losing it at the Polo Grands against Robinson I mean well that is probably one of the biggest upsets in boxing history isn't it uh, the first one uh, with Turpin beating Robinson but yeah I mean he almost done Robinson twice uh, you got a feel for Turpin really and it's unfortunate. Uh, Goldstein did give him the option. Robinson goes out and does the business. But yeah, a great 12th of September 1951. What what a good one to to discuss for our uh, on this day. Um, so yeah, I mean, look, we'll drop these every now and then, Sean. If we if we have a good one, you know, there's not always time for us to do it. It's just you know, it's a shooting a breeze episode. So if we, you know, next one we do, um, if we have another good on this day, we'll we'll drop it in as well. But um, yeah, if you haven't seen it or you haven't listened maybe to our dark side of boxing episode on Turpin go back and listen to that and also uh Ray Robinson's uh, career profile as well we do mention it yeah absolutely some great content out there on Sugar Ray Robinson and of course on Randy Turpin as well please do go and check the feeds to listen to those episodes but that is everything for this shooting the breeze episode we hope you've enjoyed it if you have do let us know on social media at BTR Boxing Pod on Twitter you can find us on Facebook Instagram YouTube and TikTok at BTR Boxing Podcast Network if you've not already subscribed to us you can do so on Apple on Google you can subscribe on YouTube you can subscribe on any podcasting app out there please go and visit podfollow.com whichever platform you use you'll be able to subscribe to us on there of course spotify is one of the main ones as well so thank you to everybody who leaves comments and all the comments on the different social platforms it is always truly appreciated and finally a shout out goes to the patrons of the podcast for their continued support month upon month they support us and in return we do give them access to career profiles and legendary nights dark side of boxing episodes earlier than everybody else they get every single episode ad free so they don't have to listen to any advertisements throughout the course of these episodes and of course we do patron only episodes and boxing through the decades as a series on there so if you haven't already looked at patreon.com please go and check it out and if you can subscribe to us that way please 
do it. It'd be really supportive of you to do so. But if you can't, make sure you're retweeting, you're resharing, you're liking, you're doing everything you possibly can on social to support us in that way. But that is it for this episode. Thank you for listening to this episode of Shooting the Breeze. Podcast Network.